Welcome to Biblical Higher Ed Talk, where we tap into the wisdom of leaders and practitioners of biblical higher education for the advancement of colleges and universities teaching the way of Christ in the modern world. Each week, we'll tackle topics around leading your organization, expanding your impact in the world, and deepening your faith through Christ-centered conversations. Ready to make a difference in the lives of your faculty, staff, and students? Then let's begin our journey. Today on Biblical Higher Ed Talk, I sit down with David Geyertson, distinguished leader in Christian higher education, having served as president at three evangelical universities to discuss the importance of effective board governance, a critical topic for all presidents as they lead their institutions. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Philip Dearborn, president of the Association for Biblical Higher Education. And we are honored to have as our guest this week, David Geyertsen. David has a rich history of leadership experiences, having served as a president at Regent University, Asbury University, and Taylor University. And today he's an author, speaker, consultant, and executive coach. I've invited David in to talk about probably one of the more critical topics within colleges and universities, uh, and that's effective board governance. So welcome, David, and uh, thank you for joining us. Philip, thank you for the opportunity. Glad to be able to share. To kick us off, as you reflect back over your ministry experiences as a, as a college president, university president, uh, share with us one defining moment that God used to propel you forward uh, in either your personal or your professional life. Wow, how much time do you have? I think there's, uh, you know, obviously <laughs> multiple moments, but I think if I had to pick on one, you know, I uh, came to Christ. Uh, I was a runaway and came uh, was taken in by a free Methodist minister and his wife off the streets when I was 14, and came to an understanding of faith at that time, and uh, flunked out of high school. Didn't have any real direction or motivation, but loved the Lord, and so there was this sense that maybe I should go off to Bible college. And so uh, they were able to talk the Bible college administration into allowing me to come for one semester. How about that? Even though I didn't have a high school, even though I didn't have a high school diploma or I'd completed high school, uh, it was abysmal as a matter of fact. And so they took quite a chance. And uh, that first semester, uh, by being uh, challenged to deeply search the word, uh, something came alive in me. You know, we talk often about the difference between logos and rhema, and sometimes that's artificial. But for me, the, the Bible came alive. I mean, it was a living word for me. And uh, while I'd had a dramatic experience uh, knowing that I was saved through faith in Jesus Christ, it was this encounter with the scriptures that was so significant. So I, I went to Bible school and and then went on to uh, Christian Liberal Arts College in the States to, to complete my uh, uh, ministerial education, but was really struggling with, you know, Lord, what's the call? You know, all of the people in Bible school, you know, were, were very articulate about, I've got a call. I, I know what God's calling me to do. And I didn't have a clue. You know, I, my high school guidance counselor told me I was too stupid to be in school and needed to get a job in the lumber yards or the, or the gold mines of northern Canada. Uh, and so I didn't believe I was able to learn, but something happened with this uh, deep immersion in the scriptures and, uh, and particularly the loving uh, uh, 
kind of care and superintending of the Bible College faculty there in Toronto. And so, um, you know, I, I thought, okay, you know, Lord, you know, speak to me. And I was really struggling. I was uh, at this uh, Christian college in Michigan and it was on the staff now because I had graduated. And uh, I found myself crying out, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't put a lot of stock in dreams, but uh, within just a week of that cry, I had a dream about a, a gentleman, it was me, who was called to serve a, a uh, I have a British background, so it was called to serve a big house, almost like a Downton Abbey kind of thing, you know, a big house uh, as the master chef. And I showed up at the door and uh, knocked on the door and the head of the house met me and said, David, we're so glad you're here. We know you're a master chef, but I've got real problems in my stables. Would you, because you love me, be willing to serve me where I need you more than you would prefer to serve? And immediately I said, yes, Lord. Yes, master. And I woke up and then it was settled. I, I just knew that my calling was going to be one of a series of saying yes to whatever doors God would open. And so, you know, when people say, well, what is your calling? And my sense is just to be available. And most of that has been in Christian higher education in a variety of ways, although I was out for um, almost two decades in the field of uh, Christian um, broadcasting, radio, television, and film. So there's a lot that goes around that, uh, Phil, but fundamentally, it's just been a, a series of, Lord, you open the doors, you'll confirm, and I'll do my best. And as a result, my my career has uh, gone down multiple paths, but it's always been either in startup opportunities like it was with Regent University, you know, mm-hmm. in in uh, fix up opportunities, as it happened with one of the institutions I was called to that was in great difficulty or ramp up. Uh, you know, the institution was solid, but it needed to move to the next level. And so I, I've been comfortable with this more apostolic journeying from place to place, but always with that sense of master, I said, I'd serve you where you need me. We wrestle a lot with this whole notion of God's call. And I think too often we, we think too specifically that it's tied to a location uh, versus really what it is. It's, it's God's call is for you to be obedient uh, to, to where, where he wants you to serve. And uh, you've, you've lived that out uh, and you've had, uh, you've had, you've had quite a, a career. So as you, as you look, Past as you look at at all of your experiences uh, at mostly in higher education, what's what's kept you motivated? Because I I, I would imagine that the office of president uh, is is probably one of the more difficult positions within higher education, and I think growingly more and more difficult. What what has what kept you motivated uh, in in those three universities? What kept you going? To say yeah, you know what, this is God's call on my life, and and I'm going to keep keep at it. When I went off to a Bible school, very, you know, uh, concerned, worried that I could learn uh, and even survive a semester, uh, Jim and Marion Pointer, the couple that took me and gave me a Bible. And in the front of it, they wrote, you know, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And and that scripture became for me such an incredible uh, anchor point uh, that uh, discipleship means learning and studying and growing and and uh, so uh, being called then to learn first and then to be such a a, a recipient of uh, quality uh, bible-centered spirit-filled 
teaching, and not just in scriptural teaching and theology, but in across the liberal arts dimensions. Uh, you know, I, I often wake up uh, in, each morning, and I did this in my studies, you know, with that little uh, child-like uh, game, you know, saying to God, come out, come out wherever you are. You know, God is up to something somewhere. And so that what birthed in me was this joy and challenge of continuously looking for God to show up. And I think for me then in, in the field of Christian uh, higher education, uh, biblical education really became the place where I felt I could exercise that uh, the most fully, uh, not only to be a continuous learner, still learning today, obviously, but also to be facilitating and supporting people who were learning. I, I thought it would be a, as a teacher and yeah, I've had a lot of faculty appointments and taught in a lot of different disciplines, but uh, I didn't expect that I would be one that would be facilitating those who were teaching. And so uh, there's been just that deep sense of commitment to support and work. And when the hard times come, and they do, and as you've right. pointed out, Philip, you know, in recent years in particular for university presidents, I do a lot of executive coaching now. Uh, I don't want to overstate this, but it's not uncommon for me to get several calls a month from presidents who need me to talk them off the ledge, you know, because right. essentially the challenges are far greater than I faced in my three uh, university presidencies. Uh, and, you know, each time, you know, the, the strategy is to go back to the word and particularly 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, you know, faithful is he who has called you. And he will bring it to pass, or another version says, and he will equip, equip you to bring it to pass. And so it's almost like what Jesus did with Peter there at the end of the gospel, to take him back to the beginning and say, you know, you weren't called to be a fisher of fish. You were called to be a fisher of men. And uh, so having that privilege to, to remind people of their calling uh, has been right. a kind of a blending of my pastoral because I did pastor for a few years uh, and my pastoral sense of, of ministry, but also my, uh, my leadership training and equipping sense of ministry. And so you know, that's, what's kept me going is that that undeniable value of helping people be deeply anchored to their relationship with Christ with a, uh, an absolute commitment to the authority of scripture to teach, to, to exhort, to correct. And uh, so I, I think if I was going to point to any one thing, particularly in the context of our ABHE work, right. you know, that would be it. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is sponsored by ABHE, the Association for Biblical Higher Education. At ABHE, bringing the love and light of Christ to the world is reflected in our drive to see our member institutions flourish, leading them to a time of success for their institution and giving them the tools and insights they need to look toward the future. Interested in learning more about membership with ABHE? Visit us at abhe.org or send us an email to membership at abhe.org. ABHE is your partner committed to advancing biblical higher education for kingdom impact. Now back to the show. And you mentioned that joy, uh, waking up every day and having uh, really the choice of, of saying, today I'm go going to be joyful, even from a childlike perspective. I I've, I've, had, I've had the opportunity to interact with you now a couple of times. And uh, even at this point in your life, that joy comes through. 
and uh, it, it, you can definitely see that that's been part of uh, part of what, what has made you who you are who you are today. So perhaps one of the things that pushes some of those presidents to that ledge uh, revolves around how they relate to their boards. Uh, board governance is is a critical issue. Uh, why why is it? Why should we even spend time talking about this? Well, most of the issues that that I see in when presidents are are um, dysfunctioning or failing has to do with the fact that the overseer group that is responsible for them. You know, we one of the basic one hundred and one principles in board governance is the board has one employee. Uh, that's the president. And the care and feeding of that president is really critical. And so often when I, I'm called in to um, help mitigate you know, some uh, difficult situations with presidential leadership, it often uh, comes right back to the fact that the board hasn't uh, appropriately or effectively exercised its stewarding responsibility uh, of the president uh, as their one employee. And there's often, you know, two extremes. There are some boards that essentially uh, don't give presidents any direction at all and just assume that, you know, they hired the right person, male or female, and that, uh, you know, God's going to lead them and direct them. And their job is to be, you know, meet twice a year and, uh, you know, cheerlead uh, the successes and give a little guidance every once in a while. At the other end, are boards that are way down in the weeds and want to give direction and guidance to every um, aspect of the board's role. And that isn't healthy either because they're not boots on the ground. They don't know as a board what the real issues are. And so, so much of my work now to help boards find that balance uh, in terms of how do we, uh, how do we guide and support our president appropriately uh, without getting in his or her way inappropriately trying to run the institution, but also being engaged enough to provide the parameters. And the, uh, I, I happen to believe strongly, and we do in our governance project with ABHE, focus in a policy governance model that we don't give the president directors on how, on how to, but we give them parameters on why to and where to. And so I think that that uh, for me in these uh, capstone years of my own work, uh, which has always been a call to nurture a leadership, and particularly now within Christian higher education, you know, I find myself even when I'm called in to help with executive searches, I'm doing two searches now, and one of the first things I ask is, let me look at your board governance documents, your board policy, because mm -hmm. we don't want to recruit somebody into an unhealthy relationship. And so that, that stewarding role, um, and sometimes presidents are resistant uh, and actually, uh, I'm sad to say, uh, work against the board being as involved as they should be. And so part of the educational process is convincing presidents that they benefit from a properly engaged board that provides uh, parameters, uh, guide rails uh, for them so that they know when they make decisions that they're in keeping. And in this day and age, when there's so much crisis in higher education uh, because of enrollment declines, because of financial issues, because of conflict within core constituencies, it's amazing to me, you know, when, when I was a president, I could count on a core that were deeply committed to the essential values of the institution. It's amazing that even in some of our most conservative institutions, 
that our core is so divided. It's either vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask, Trump, no Trump, mm-hmm. you know, on and on it goes. And I never experienced that kind of division in most of my leadership roles. That's interesting because I, I was going to ask, as you look at those three presidencies that you had uh, and, and how you related to the boards in each one of those instances as a comparison to where boards and presidents relate today, I'm sensing that there's pretty significant difference in, in what boards are dealing with today as what they have in the past. Yeah, it, it, there really is. And, and, and a lot of it is, again, around these fundamental essentials. What is it that's core to our mission that we must not compromise on? And so many of our Christian colleges and universities, and this is geographically influenced, are really struggling. We often say that the East Coast institutions and the West Coast Christian institutions are the canaries in the coal mine that are basically getting the most attack now over their commitment to biblical essentials. And uh, boards then have to wrestle with, do we lose accreditation? Uh, Do we seek accreditation with another group more compatible with us? Because that anchors them to these essentials. Mm -hmm. And in my three presidencies, I didn't have to convince the board of staying true to these fundamental essentials that were core to our mission. But more and more of our Christian college presidents are struggling with boards that uh, you know, running scared because of lawsuits. I mean, the amount of litigation now over some of these core biblical issues has just accelerated. And so uh, that's the big difference is how do presidents lead and how do boards understand where they need to draw the line this far and no further in terms of their right. And even if it meant losing regional accreditation or losing major donor groups, this is particularly true in in fundraising with corporations and foundation fundraisings now, it's more and more difficult for our kinds of institutions deeply committed to biblical values to be even considered by these corporate and foundation givers and some major donors because we're viewed as, as uh, you know, lightning rods and, and problematic uh, to their broader constituencies. How would you prioritize the top three responsibilities of a board? Yeah, I think the first is, is clarity of the mission of the institution. Why do we exist? What has God called us to be? And what are then, and this could be the second point, what are the essentials that are, um, must be um, the anchor points for us as we deliver on those missional promises. You know, one of the things is when we make a mission statement and all of our institutions do, we are basically making a delivery promise, right? This is how, this is what we're gonna deliver. The issue then is what are the core things that will keep us on course on that mission and not cause us to stray or compromise? And then the third point, is how do we find leadership and how do we nurture and sustain leadership that will help us keep true to that core? And there are a whole bunch of other elements in that process, but those three, what's the mission? Are we clear on what it is? What are the essentials that uh, must support that mission? And thirdly, how do we find, nurture, support, guide the leadership of that mission to deliver on our promises? And I would think any board would do well if they just did those three things. As you've worked with boards and perhaps from your own personal experience, uh, if if you're willing to share, uh, what are some mistakes, uh, some some critical mistakes uh, that you've seen boards make um, in in your experience or or what you've observed perhaps from your coaching time? 
you know, not in any particular order. Uh, I think uh, one of the big mistake a board makes is is not ask, not defining clearly the parameters within which they want the president to operate, and right. then having appropriate means to monitor whether or not those parameters are being followed. So we, we often talk about key performance indicators or dashboard indicators, but there are probably you know a dozen to two dozen critical areas where the president's ability to operate a viable institution, both missionally and fiscally, operationally, programmatically, needs some guidance by the board. And so the, I think often boards say, well, we've hired a president, turn them loose, you know, and that's particularly true in our more conservative Christian environments. We have some mm -hmm. biblical mandates. We don't touch God's anointed. We're called to pray for our leadership. And we assume that since God called them, God's going to lead them. Our job basically is to support that. Well, you know, we got to be a little bit more from Missouri, I think, in our boards. And that is to say, okay, um, but let's have some reporting mechanisms that basically help us to ensure that our president is operating. Because what, what I just wrote an article recently on stress behaviors and why executive successful uh, presidents are burning out and boards are caught to totally unaware. And it's because they haven't been monitoring the uh, specific indicators of uh, leadership health. They assume a lot of times in a, in a successful institution that because the institution is hitting all of its success benchmarks and is healthy, that the leader also is healthy. Well, usually the reason they're hitting all of those healthy benchmarks is because, because the leader, they're unhealthy. Yeah, it's be, well, it's because the leader is emptying themselves. They're, he's not right. operating all, or she's not operating out of the overflow. They're operating all the dregs of their cup and boards aren't alert to that. And so one of the keys is to have key performance indicators that you monitor on a regular basis. Uh, I've done a lot of board consulting at the church level. And I think there's a lot of similarities uh, with church boards as they relate to the senior pastor. And I came across uh, John Carver policy governance, uh, which you are, I believe you're familiar with and a, mm -hmm. and a model yes. that, you, that you use. And one of the powerful elements of that is it, it, it creates the, the game plan. It, it, the, the board sets the stage in which the president then operates. So there are very clear boundaries. And one of the things I've noticed, mistakes that, that boards make, they don't, they don't produce those boundaries. They don't communicate those boundaries. And so if as long as a president is operating, just generally everything is okay, but if suddenly they do something, but the boundary hasn't been expressed, then the board reacts and then the senior pastor reacts or the president reacts and, and then things tend to tend to explode. Yeah, I, I, yeah, right on. And uh, with policy governance, uh, the Carver model is one that's well known, but I'm very careful to exhort people not to adopt the Carver model, but to adapt it because every yes. institution is different. And, and again, uh, shamelessly promoting the ABHE governance project here, which I'm sure will uh, tickle your fancy as well. You know, we, uh, so much of what we do in that training is an adaptation of policy mm -hmm. governance that is then specifically tailored. It's not an off the rack suit. It has to be tailored right. to the individual institution's needs at this time, uh, its uh, opportunities, its priorities, its challenges. Uh, and that de determines the degree of governance oversight that the board uh, then needs to exercise. 
you know, another uh, priority, I think, and a mistake that boards often make is uh, fundamentally in, in understanding what it means to have shared governance. Uh, mm. Boards are, are out of necessity, cannot be on top of every operational aspect of the institution. So they cede authority as well as responsibility to the president in the vast majority of those areas. So we have a basic principle in policy uh, governance, and that is that whatever is not prescribed is permitted. And so essentially the president then is trusted in probably 90% of all of the operational needs to make good decisions, best decisions, and get consultation where it's needed. But because the board has ceded authority and responsibility, it doesn't mean that it abandons its responsibility for the overall institution. And so a lot of times, for example, in human resource management, the board is not particularly involved, you know, in specific areas of, of uh, personnel and human resource management. But if something goes wrong uh, in the personnel management, if a toxic workplace develops, uh, or if there's, uh, you know, inappropriate behavior with employees, it's the board that legally is going to be held accountable and responsible, and not just the executive leadership of the institution. So it's understanding that while ceding authority and responsibility is part of what the board does, uh, proportional to their trust in the president and their confidence in the president, uh, they don't ultimately uh, give up responsibility overall for how the president then basically operates within that seated authority. And what we're seeing, uh, Philip, as you know, you know, is this significant uh, shortening of presidential terms. And so, you know, presidents used to run 12, 15 years in our kinds of institutions. Now it's five to seven years. And as a result, boards have to be uh, more of the long-term overseers of the mission of the institution and delivery on the promises of the institution. And so um, a misunderstanding about what it means to cede authority does often is, well, we no longer have authority. Oh, no, no, mm-hmm. you've ceded authority. Your authority now is to ensure that that ceded authority is being op- operationalized appropriately. So that would be yeah, a, a yeah. second key point. Yeah, that's that's a critical one, and and I've I've seen the same statistics. In fact, I think there was a sector of higher education. It might have been the community colleges, uh, where the average uh, stay of a president's actually dropped below four. I think it was like three point nine. That's correct. Uh, yes. Which 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 really begs the question for a governing board that if presidents are coming and going at a clip of you know every five to seven years. Uh, who, who ultimately is responsible for weaving together and make, making sure that the mission uh, stays on target and doesn't deviate in the midst of five to seven year changes uh, That's right. along the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other any other mistakes that you've seen? Well, the third is is to have kind of a historical conviction about what the institution must be in the future. And that is, you know, most most boards are made up of alumni of the institution or parents or donors of the institution who have a deep appreciation for the institution in its historical context. And I'm a historian, a church historian, and I believe 
you know, boards should always be aware of founder's intent and, uh, you know, uh, look at the, the Ebenezer's along the way where God basically reinforced the founder's intent. But there's, you know, there's a, there's a line in an old hymn that says to serve the present age, our calling to fulfill, oh, may it all our powers engage to do our master's will. And so what I'm seeing with boards is, is a, an inherent resistance to dramatic change. And what we know in the last three to five years is we can't continue to do business in our institutions the way we have. And so boards confuse modality and methodology with faithfulness to the mission and vision. And, and so often what I find in, in one of the things I appreciate most about my PhD program was the uh, training and equipping uh, in the area of innovation theory and how new ideas get communicated successfully and implemented successfully through existing structures. Because we all, you know, we all love, you know, I met my, my wife under the shadow of old Maine. And what do you mean you're going to tear old Maine down, you know, to uh, build a new uh, uh, STEM facility, you know, to offer programs in, in nursing and that kind of thing. You know, the Bible and theology courses were good enough for me. You know, why do we have to have STEM now? You know, and so there are all of these right, right. internal resistors to change. And I think that boards, uh, fundamentally make very serious mistakes when they over-preserve by mistaking that method and methodology essentially are at the core of missional fidelity and that we want to serve the present age. I mean, all you got to do is go back to the New Testament where the church basically broke out of you know, the, the, the basic modality for teaching and disciple-making. And uh, suddenly it's out on the street. Suddenly it's going from, you know, from uh, synagogue to to uh, open street police preaching to marketplace preaching like in Corinth on the Bema, standing in the middle of the marketplace, declaring the gospel. And so the the, the gospel was birthed out of a go beyond the parameters and limitations of current modalities. If they're no longer relevant, do it respectfully. Mm -hmm. But most boards are extremely resistant uh, to change. Now, I've run into a few boards that assume, uh, this is very rare, but a few board members particularly, who think that whatever we were doing in the past no longer has relevance. And that's, right. that's as big a mistake uh, to make because essentially how we got to where we are today, assuming it's positive, is because of faithfulness to those modalities and methodologies that were used then to uh, advance the mission. And, and while we, uh, you know, we, we need to think about change, we don't want boards to be bullies on the beach kicking over the old sandcastles because they fundamentally think that none of that now is relevant. And so there's that, again, strain. And, and again, in the board governance thing, shamelessly promoting one more time, you know, we talk about how uh, innovation needs to be uh, embraced, but in the context of recognizing that the mission never changes. The methods and modalities change, as they did with the New Testament uh, expansion of the gospel. You've mentioned it now a couple of times, so we'll, we'll, we'll close uh, simply by uh, saying, uh, yes, ABHE has a, a board governance uh, training um, service that we provide, and uh, we've been doing it for a number of years, and uh, David has been uh, a fantastic coach with us. No, and uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you have interest in it, definitely reach out to us. 
Uh, we have a, a grant from uh, Murdoch uh, that was just renewed for the next three years. This year's cohort is full. We'll have another two years and we're looking forward uh, to seeing how ABHE can come alongside an institution. So, uh, David, I just want to say thank you uh, for sharing your wisdom and your experiences with us today. Uh, as I look at the landscape of uh, Christian higher education, uh, I, I see you uh, as one of the giants uh, mm. that have gone before us and uh, really laid the groundwork for what we can do now uh, in biblical and Christian higher education. So uh, on behalf of all of us, I want to say thank you uh, for the work that you've done. So until next time, stay kingdom focused. Thanks for listening to Biblical Higher Ed Talk. For more, follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're delighted that you chose to spend a part of your day with us and encourage you to reach out to us with feedback, topics, or guests for the show. You can get in touch with Philip, your host, via LinkedIn or at biblicalhigheredtalk at abhe.org. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is a production of the Association for Biblical Higher Education in association with Westport Studios. Views expressed on this show are those of the participants and may not reflect the views of ABHE or Westport Studios. Bring light and life to your biblical higher educational organization by inquiring about membership with ABHE at abhe.org. We'll catch you next time.